Okay, welcome back to the Boardman Podcast. We're here, myself, Matt, Jay, James, and a wonderful guest today, Sally. Sally. Yeah. What's your last name, Sally? It's Burris, Sally Ann Burris. Sally Ann Burris. Mm. Um, we've just been chatting beforehand and we want to get back into it very quickly, but let's go through quickly how we met because we only met like a week or, week or two ago. And do you know what? We, had, we just met and we had this really nice energy straight away. Like it was just nice. It was calm. I got yeah. my mum and family in the background talking and shouting. I felt um, that as soon as Sally walked in, I felt like she was calm. Yeah, just nice yeah. and calm. And I'm quite, you know, all over the place. Not, not calm. Yeah. So it was just really nice. And, and we just had this really intelligent, <laughs> nice conversation for like 10 minutes or whatever. And she was packing up her, her equipment and different things because at the house and, and, you know, going through, going through different stuff at there. So it was, just, it was just really nice. And I said to her straight away, let's get you on the podcast. She'd be great to talk. She's had a great story. Anyway, that's my little introduction for everyone here we are here we are and i've been really excited ever since you've said it so oh lovely so what is it you do sally exactly so i run um i am a journalist but i run an organization called split the difference so it's in support of boys and men so it's from six years research a year in the uk three or four years internationally and then the last year was on societal narrative so it was looking at um why society has a narrative that pushes women forward and allows them voices on every single platform and why it silences men. Um, and it kind of took me to a point where I now work to change laws. So I'm UN facing, the organisation is UN facing. Wow. Mm. So that's me. Wow. Francois worked at the UN, didn't he? Yeah. Well, uh, get, a guest on recently the UN. Mm. That's, um, take, take us more onto that um, is it, um, men and boys, isn't it? Yes, yeah. men and boys. Yeah. Take it. Take us a little bit more into that. That's because okay. that's what hooked me as soon as we met. Yeah, I I think uh, it does most people. Um, it's challenging for some. Uh, some are very challenged by what I do and how I do it and why I do it. I'm a woman uh, fighting the cause for men and boys and equality and and parity and services for men and boys. So, but it was based on I've got a history of 30 plus years of delivering services, frontline services, drug and alcohol, child protection, debt management, homelessness, health, you know, all of those kinds of subjects. And through my history and my knowledge, I understood that men and boys weren't getting the same deal. Uh, so if, if, you're, if I'm supporting a woman or a girl in, in the community, the doors are open in every aspect. So whichever direction I turn in, there's an open door for her. That's not the same for men and boys. And then I, I created, through half a million pound police and crime commissioner funding, a whole family domestic abuse service. It took me into a layer of, of research I'd never dived into before. When you do what I do, it, you go into the first or second layer, but I actually dived into where do the stats come from? How do they correlate the stats? How do they measure what men need, what women need? Um, and that took me into a, it was like the twilight zone, literally right. the twilight zone. So everything you perceive in society where women are saying we don't have equality, that is not measured against what men have. So what the, the female voices, we don't have equality, we don't have equality, but nobody is looking at what do men have or what they don't have. So there's no comparison. Relative. There's no, yes, there's no comparison in it. So when I found the comparisons, so for example, out of 191 countries, uh, 195 that are attached to, 193 are members of the UN, two are observer states. 191 of those countries hold the highest suicide rate for men mm. and boys. The youngest documented is six years old. So my research showed me why, why that happens. I know why that happens. And I went in, I dived into it. It was so broad across the whole of the world that I ended up having to narrow it down 
So I took the subjects where men would be able to thrive. So things like family court, criminal court, children, looking after children, children's services, education, health. If men have got the same doors open to them in those subjects, it would mean that they had a platform to at least thrive in. Um, and they would, some of these issues would be preventative to suicide. So, I mean, that just, it just it's exploded. It's just one area, it's crazy. There's yeah. so much to go into there. There's a lot. <laughs> like, I, I don't, because, what do you know? It just uh, blown our mind. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, there's obviously this, the whole equality thing in that, you know, it's great seeing, like, as we've seen, you know, with Rebecca, great seeing women's football, women, strong women. It's amazing to see that. On the other side of the coin, men and women aren't equal. And I, I, can, I think I've said it every podcast, like the average man physically is stronger than the average woman. So as much as there is, you know, this equality scale, you've got to have it as a, a relativistic scale in terms of what each person is capable of doing. And, um, you know, I think it's such an interesting conversation to have now because so many people are um, being swayed, let's say, maybe by diff different narratives. And I'm not sure why that is and why, that, why, why that's happening. I think, because my research took me back 2,000 years. So part of the research was I wanted to understand whether women have ever been suppressed, oppressed to the level that we hear in, in all of society really now. So I was looking at, were there female leaders 2,000 years ago? Uh, 1500 years ago, 1000 years ago, were women in business the span of time? Were women, how were women in their own home environment? How did they contribute to the community? You know, and and the fact is that there were women leaders. There were there were women in army. There were there were women who were running very successful businesses. We know all of that. I even looked at feminism. So they talk about the first phase, second phase feminism. I went back to the 1600s. It's actually a French aristocrat who coined the phrase feminist and it was a man and he believed that to to uh, to um to deliver a good society you had to have the opinions of men and women and both had to feed into that society so he coined the phrase feminist and it's quite it's quite i've done the journey in feminism since then so we've got we've got markers in feminism um that kind of they're they're not real and they're not true and it's like most history politics power money it it turns it left right and it makes it something that it isn't but i only work from facts and stats that's it facts i've got no opinion i think women if they want to be footballers they should be allowed a space to be a footballer you are right there's no equality you can't ask for equality they talk about the ceiling and women in uh, boardrooms and more men are leaders and, and more men are this and more men are that but actually when you look at psychology men and women are, are drawn to naturally to certain areas in life so STEM subjects for men and boys their brain works in a, in a way that can finely tune. A man's brain, I, this is a generalistic, but nevertheless is true, a man's brain is able to focus on the smallest detail and maintain that focus, whereas a woman's brain will look at the everything on the peripheral as well as the focus. Mm. So we're designed differently. Multitasking. We're, we're designed differently. And I think you, it's impossible to say that you know only men can do this, only women can do that, but we have to allow for the fact that... that that we are different, very different. Yeah. What were some of the, hit us with some of like, the, you were telling me some facts the other day. Yeah. Hit us some of the stuff you found that was, that was certainly different between men and boys, uh, you know, versus, versus women in that sense in terms of. So there's a lot, there's a, in terms of equality. Yeah. Okay, so um, 
I looked at over 15 countries, okay? So my research took me to Australia, not literally a wish, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America, some European countries. I looked at some Arab countries and I looked at some African countries. And the research always followed what I'd done in the UK, which is I looked at 21 acts of law. I looked at the guidance. So I, I went from the acts of law to the guidance to policy and then how that translated into frontline services. So how much money. I also looked at fiscal management. So how much money was spent on men and women. And that research then I replicated in all the countries. So And I cross-referenced some of them. So, for example, in the UK, the... The Children's Act and Family Court, some of the some of the governance around Family Court and the Housing Act, they're not compatible. Okay, so if a dad goes into the court and he wants his children 50-50 care of his children, the way that the Housing and Family Court look at this, if if the, if you're on a low earner, if you're somebody under the age under the income of say twenty five thousand pound, way Family Court looks at this is, it will it will say that if the woman has got enough accommodation to cope with the child or bring up the children, that housing does not have to provide the man with the same housing so that he can have 50-50 children. So Children's Court, fam- Children's Services and Family Court will stop a man having his child unless he's got suitable accommodation. The Housing Act has no legal responsibility to give him that. So there's an imbalance there. So I cross-referenced these, le- these pieces of legislation. I did the same thing all over the world and I noticed there's a common narrative and it all backtracked to the United Nations. So the other stats I looked at was education. In Charities, lots of um, UNESCO and all of that, when you look at their stats, there's a lot of third sector organisations that promote women need to be in education. We need to open the doors in developing countries and, and, and all of that for women in education. But when I looked at the stats, there's more boys and men out of education than there are women and girls. So the, this, this narrative, this premise that's in place, it's not real to the stats and the evidence. And I think once I put... I've worked with lots of women who come at me. Um, they come at me. First of all, I'm a traitor. They, I, I'm lucky. I, I'm very lucky. Women, I think, see that I, my heart's in the right place and I don't get the challenges a lot of my colleagues have. Um, but they do come at me, look at me like, what are you doing, Sally? Um, but once I've told them the stats and showed them the evidence, they, either, they do one of two things. They either look at me and say, oh, my God, I didn't know, Sally. Or they look at me and say to me, Sally, you've got to be wrong. And then disappear for six months and then they ring me or text me and say to me, oh my God, I've looked myself and you're absolutely true. But wherever I look, it is always the same story. It's always the same story. I have never to this date yet found where women have got less than what men have got. I, I just haven't. It's crazy, isn't it? When you, when you think of that. Yeah, because you, you're doing the hard... Sorry. Yeah, no, you, you, you said you... Because no, you're doing the hard stats, you know, you're, and you're following it all the way back. So, you know, it's easy to say things. Yeah, it's not, she's not just looking at it now, she's yeah. looking at it before yeah. and going way back, history, genetics, yeah. time frame, everything. You even mentioned something the other day about something to do with prostate cancer. And, well, and- I mean, some of the examples, you have to boil this down. If I dump it, sometimes, <laughs> I got to tell you, in year three, right, I'm sitting year three, everybody gets, everybody, every woman like me gets their moment. They call it the red pill moment, okay? Right. There's a very famous journalist who made a documentary called The Red Pill, all right? She was a strong, staunch feminist and went into the world saying she was going to create this documentary that said 
why women are, are abused, why they are neglected, you know, all of this thing. Third of the way through that documentary, she completed a 360 because she started to realise it was actually men and boys and she did that. So when I go into the world, when women like me go into the world, you start off with a premise and then you start doing the research. You, every woman reaches a moment and they, they think, they sit back in the chair and think, I, this is just unreal. It's having and a realisation. It feels like the twilight zone. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And I remember sitting in a coffee shop in my year three and my twilight zone. It was about six, it's about six months. And I really was annoyed with women because everywhere I was looking, it's this strong negative narrative about men. And I'm thinking, you have no idea what's going on. There was two women sat in a coffee shop next to me. And both of these women were really moaning about their, their men, you know. They were, and I'm sitting there thinking it's a mantra. Shut up, Sally. Shut up, Sally. Don't say anything. Because I want to swing around at them and say to them, let me tell you the stats, all of the stats that I've got, you know, because they just, they never stop. But the simple one I use for the UK is, in the National Health Service, we have um, preventative breast screening for women, and we have preventative cervical screening for, for women. But we have two cancers that kill men. The most dominant one is prostate cancer, and then there's testicular cancer. They're gender-related, you know. There's no screening for that. But we can, and it's one of the biggest killers, you know, so that is just an easy, easy... And those two ones, you've got a really high chance of death, both of those. Yes, you do. And you don't know, they, they don't treat until you've got, you're symptomatic, by which point it's normally hard, you know, it's a, it's a real, a, yeah, it's a tough so journey like, for a man. Very simple. Why is that? Why? I, I did the research and I, um, in 2010, the United Nations Women was formed. In 2011, they created the Istanbul Convention, which is a convention that's dominated around protecting women and girls from violence. That, the themes through that, I've read this and read CEDAW, which is another um, piece of the UN work. That one single uh, convention impacted on every single piece of legislation. So every, every, even private business, it, it impacted on private business and how they manage their businesses. So it's basically a risk management system. And there's, a, there's things, so when, it, when a country signs up to a convention, they then work to ratify. Once they ratify, they, they basically implemented this particular convention in all of their policies, and they've done something about it. Now, the Istanbul Convention only works for women and girls. There is no UN men, and there's no Istanbul Convention for a, for a man or boy. So the narrative very much changed when that was, was... It just went out in the world like a wildfire. So every organisation is tuned in to protecting women and girls, and it's integrated into every system that I can find. I even looked at contract law, and it's integrated into every system. It, there's so many areas I want to touch on, so it's hard, because I think maybe we'll have a conversation and go into some of the specifics, right? So there's a lot at the moment, you know, about sort of toxic masculinity. And I see almost every sort of discussion we're having, I see, or every point that you've annotated there, it's like a pendulum, right? So in my mind... So, you know, this toxic masculinity has gone so far now that men are afraid to approach women and it's, it's, it is causing lots of other problems and you can just see that by on what's happening online, right? But obviously, as we were saying, if men are physically stronger than women, if men, are, that men do abuse women, you know, there's probably way more women that are sexually assaulted than men, guaranteed. So there, is, there are those issues which need to be resolved, right? Like the ones that we can't argue against, you know, I've got to be careful with names, as you said, I haven't got insurance, but like Harvey Weinstein, you know, all the, everyone's going to agree what these guys have done is abhorrent and should, you know, and th but that is happening. Now, you know, 
there's an argument to say why, you know, how that's happened. But what it, what's happened, it seems to have swung the other way, the, the, the Me Too movement. Now, I'm very glad that those people are now being shown for who they are. So there is, because there is a positive that's kind of come from all of that, but now it kind of seems to be swinging, swinging the other way. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So this whole kind of, you know, toxic masculinity thing is, you know, that, um, you know, I mean, how would you, okay, let me ask you, how would you define toxic masculinity? Because we've had lots of chats about it. It'd be interesting to ask you. I think toxic masculinity is a term that's used to silence men. Right. There is nothing more controlling than that one word. Yeah. You're a toxic man. That's it. You know, yeah. and that will silence you straight away. It puts men in a position where they feel they can't say a single word. And I mean, to me, that is probably one of the biggest crimes a woman can do to a man is to silence them. And there's a very good reason why that term has been pushed out in the world. It is purely for that reason. It's to diminish a man's voice. It's to silence him. It's to disempower. And I, I, I disagree with it completely and utterly. I mean, there's, there, there are bad men, but there are equally bad women, you know? A human being, whether you're a man or a woman, is capable of harm. Yeah. I mean, there, there's been uh, research done around when you've got domestic abuse. I mean, my journey started with domestic abuse, you know? I've supported men in the past with nowhere to turn, and I've, I've done the journey with them and made sure they've got a home and whatever. But if you, if you look at domestic abuse, two-thirds of the UK population currently are said that who experience in domestic abuse are said to be women, a third are men. And yet one, less than 1% of the finances put into domestic abuse are there for men and boys. It just doesn't work. In, in current hostile environments, depending on which service you go to, if you're a teenage boy who's 14, you are, you are probably highly unlikely not to get in a hostel with your mother, which means you'll sofa surf or you go into care. So the service is not compatible. When we, talk, when we look at hate and we look at masculine hate, because that's what this is. To me, it's a hate crime. And there's no way from bet about it, it's a hate crime. So when you look at hate, any organization that, that determines it's right to lock a 14-year-old boy, sometimes they're eight. Some, some of these hostile um, female services won't allow children in, boys in, older than eight, uh, 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 yeah, older than eight, yeah. The, so how you can justify lock, because that is sending the message that a boy is is a toxic mm -hmm. male, you know. Um, I mean, we've got less boys in education in the UK. You're, if you're in university, you're less less likely to stay if you're a boy. You're less likely to complete your course in university. Oh, yeah, I heard this, Jordan Peterson the other day. He was having an argument. I think a famous argument with a, a feminist. I saw that as well. Yeah, and and he said, well, who, as you said, who are the most people that commit suicide? It's men. The most amount of people that drop out of school, men. The most amount of people that are in prisons, men. And obviously, he's very good. And he just, in terms of reading James, on facts, ask, ask Sally what she thinks of Jordan Peterson. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Sally? He's my male hero. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't have male heroes, but I have Amazing. males that that's I what, know, that's how we connected. He's my hero. She said, yeah. she said to me last week, she's like, "Do you know Jordan Peterson?" Or I said, "Yeah, I've read his book. He's great. You know, love him. He's great." It's. I mean, on onto that. You mentioned about the, the sexual side, though. Is that that's surely more women are sexually assaulted than men. That's surely got to be... The stats are... The issue is around reporting this. Um, 
If you, I did a piece of research myself when I was studying my journalist degree. I went out into the university. Thought something. Sorry. Yeah. That's okay. No, no. I just asked. Okay. Okay. So I, I went know. out into university and I took my camera with me and my my mic with me and I walked around all the guys, different age groups, and I asked them if they'd ever experienced. Uh, sexual um, harassment from a female and I asked them to tell him um, and every every one of them said yes right and some of them from the behavior that even shocked me right mm-hmm. and and I asked them all similar questions right across the board every single one had experienced sexual harassment the only issue is that men don't report okay now my argument to that because politicians tell me this all the time Sally we get it we see the stats we know but they just will not talk to us my recount to that is then you're not asking them the right way because mm-hmm. they want to talk you're not giving them the pathways. So I... I it's, it's, really, it's, a, it's a really sort of grey area. It then. is a very grey area. And I mean, if you... All of the things that women say is rape and what led to rape, when I... It was only a very small thing I did over a period of about three days, but every single guy I talked to told me they'd experienced it. Okay, I'm thinking more men on men, which because, you know, when I... Like, I remember our history teacher, um, she slept with like three of the guys in the class and the guys actually loved it because they thought, you know, that's just the way that, you know, I, I, the guys that I grew up with anyway were more inclined. But if I ask most guys that I know, especially if they're actors, uh, I don't think I've asked you, but have you been, you know, abused by another guy? A lot of the time in their time growing up, they have been, but they would never say anything about it. A lot of younger guys that I've spoken to, they go and meet casting directors. Um, in fact, I got told a story the other day about an actor we would all know, an older actor, and a lot, all the guys go to his house and he gets very touchy-feely. And, and one time, one, one thing, sort of not to, to someone I know. But that would never get told or never get, you know, pushed out because they don't want to tell people. Yeah, it's almost like embarrassing for a man to, yeah. you know, express that or, or own up to it, you know. So it's, uh, there's a set it's quite permi- scary. There's a set of permissions in society that says you've got to be quiet, okay? I don't believe there's a... For me, there's a... There's a a strong feminist movement that is saying men should be allowed to cry, okay? And I'm like, okay, so that's okay, but who they choose to. Because for me, there's an argument that if a man chooses to disclose, talk, cry, get upset with somebody, he's choosing somebody he trusts. But if you don't set the permission for him to walk into a space to access somebody he trusts, how is he going to disclose? Exactly. I think that's one of the biggest problems that that all men face now is they don't have a place to go to to open up and be free to to own up to these exactly these horrid you are issues. you are seeing more like you, you, i'm hearing of like men have you heard of men's circles no you I'm, I'm i'm hearing like with link and these guys they're doing like men's circles men's discussions like that's what i mean with the pendulum it's kind of slightly where people are like, okay it is okay to cry as a guy it is okay to talk about you know feelings it is okay you know they're, they're, i think it is sort of slowly slowly maybe I think that there are, in, in, in psychology, there are archetypes, okay? So men, and they are long-standing assessments of men's personalities, the same way that there's female archetypes. I think what I'm seeing about let men cry thing, yeah, men should be allowed to feel and think, but I'm a woman, I, won't, I don't like crying in front of anybody. So what's the campaign for me, you know? Part of me thinks that this is part of stripping men of their masculinity, Okay, because men, their natural way of being is to be protective, to hold their own court, to be strong-minded in individuals, and you know, and they do that in different ways. Some are only leaders within their families, with their their partner or whatever, but and some to the wider society. But 
you, why do I need to see a man cry? Mm. So you have to ask yourself, where do you position men? Where, who do you ask them to be? Are you asking them to be weak? Do you think it's because, like, you know, I saw this picture of, like, men in the 90s, you know, sort of, like, weren't taking too much care of, like, physically, they were just, they were strong and masculine or more, more you see. And then, you know, it goes through every 10 years to the point of now where it's kind of getting harder and harder to tell the difference between a man and a woman. Like, the, I guess a, con, a sort of conspiracy or not, maybe, that whoever is in control wants to make the male population or the male populace more docile so that we don't fight and become, you know what I mean? I mean, that is a possibility, right? It, because lots of angry men or aren't going to put up with being locked down in their house for two years, right? But now it's more like, okay, yeah, no, we'll do it. Do you feel this trajectory uh, as the way it's going right now where sort of women are being empowered, do you feel that they are, um, are enjoying that empowerment and, and feel like they have something over men? where, you know, men, like you said, don't have a voice. But, yeah, do you feel that they are going to continue like that? Or with your movement, is that going to change the, the way that well, the men I, are perceived? The idea is that, that f from what I'm doing, is to just bring truth to the table. I just want to bring truth and evidence. There are all, there's always going to be a battle of the sexes. In its sweetest form, it's flirting. You know, it's when you go to the pub and there's a, a group of girls and a group of boys and you have this competition game fool. In its sweetest form, that's fun, you know. In its worst form, it's about one gender wanting to annihilate another. That's the extremes of it. I don't think this, this trajectory of women at the moment and their female voices is based on untruths. And every time I hear a woman talking about this, I'm looking at her thinking, you've just made yourself look an absolute fool. Mm -hmm. Because if you looked at the truth, you'd realise your voice has nothing behind it. You know, and, and for me, there's only, in, in power, there's, there's, they, they, some people say, who's your God? Is it drugs? Is it sex? Is it power? Is it money? You know, I mean, for me, obviously, I'm a, a person of faith. It's a different game for me. But from what I'm seeing in governance right now is, the feminist voice is being used to, to take it, so it just wants power. And, and it's turning women into victims. The narrative at the moment is that, pa that power push you're getting is because women are constantly being told they're victims. You're the one who's less likely to get employed. You're the one that's less likely to get the best job. You're the one that's less likely to get the best course you want. You're the one that's less likely to get money. So they, they're constantly fed in this voice all of the time. You're a victim. What does a victim do? They stand up and they fight, but their fight is unreal. Because even in a boardroom, you've got women now. For me, I, I, I've got my qualifications, psychotherapy, life coach, and I've got a business qualification. I'm a restorative practitioner. I've got a, D, a journalist degree. I, I'm educated. And, and you hear these women walking into boardrooms purely because she's a woman. Now, I don't want somebody looking at me and thinking you're a woman. You've walked into that job just because you're a woman, because that's what's happening. Yeah. And a lot of women that I work with who are highly educated professors, you know, you know lots of different types of forms and lots of different job roles are saying, but I've earned my, I've, done, I've paid my dues. I've worked for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, it's we've, the same we've, with the uh, ethnicity as well. I think a lot of businesses are, are trying to, uh, black people, Asian people, different of all uh, people of all different faiths because of, of their ethnicity background. So it's uh, and it's who fascinating wants that? To say that? It's so weird because I have that a lot in film, and it you know, and you do you know now you try to you try to look at right okay if you're hiring a couple hundred people let's bring in women and different people from different ethnicities and all this kind of stuff. And I've been pressured by so many different people. Oh, you've got to have 
more women in that area or more women in that area or, or you know, this person has to be, you know, different ethnic race. And I just say to the same people, look, I don't care if they're white, black, Asian, they believe in this, they have one leg, one arm. I don't care if they're good and they work hard, they'll, they'll be employed. And that, that applies, you know, across the board. You know, I've applied so much to the, to, to the film institutions in the UK and, you know, the amount of forms, I, I always say I spend so, I spend more time filling the form in than, than actually, you know, the answer and the amount of, the amount of things that has to tick a box now that has to qualify. And people say to me, oh yeah, but Matt, you know, you're young, you're white, you, you're, you're a male, you're, you know, you're this, that, blah, blah. And I'm just like, yeah, that's you're toxic. So, it's so hard. It, yeah. it, that makes it even harder. It's ridiculously hard. Yeah. Like it, it, you know, it's, I, I had, it was a running joke. We were filling one application. I said, look, I should just say like, I'm black, transsexual, you know, woman with one, one arm and they'll probably give you the money. And it's like, it's, it's a crazy sort of, you know, analogy, but it, it, it's, it's heading in that way. And, and the internet is obviously, you know, going even further in that way. With- I mean, I've looked for funding. Okay. I, I had money and I've spent all my money on what I do. I self-fund and it's got to the point now where I can't do that anymore. So I've, I've created a, a app, which I, I'm told is worth a lot of money. And I hope and pray that that is because it will allow me to carry on what I'm doing. But I have tried to get funding for men and boys and you can forget it. Unless I deliver frontline service and then I have to justify uh, every single penny I spend and I have to make my services available to women and girls. I've got no problem with that. Uh, absolutely. 85% of our work is for men and boys, 15% for the women that love them. This is what we say. But you, you're tied by that. Every, every application, and it's not just in filming, it's not every yeah, it's a, it's services. Yeah. But this is, I think we, we, we've created a world of victims and and they sit in every pocket Uh, women victims men victims you know whether you're from you know i've got some dear friends uh, from sudan and when black lives matter hit off they were like but i've never had some of those experiences i know they exist so it's about getting that voice but what I know is that some people perceive that's what's coming towards yeah. them when it actually isn't. Yeah. You know, I got I get all the wacky Islamic questions. Do you wear hijab in the house? You know, why do people you know pray five times a day? Because I and I've asked people, why are you asking me and not asking the people that are born, people from Sudan, people from why not ask them? You know, and it's oh, I don't want to upset them. That's the honesty. That that's the reality. It's not because they're Muslim or because they're black or because they're Pakistani or whatever. It's because they're scared of saying something that will upset them. So because I'm white British, they're okay while asking me those questions. Now that's significant to me. You need we need to look at that as a society and realise everybody gets therapy these days. I'm a psychotherapist. I will not drag somebody into that setting unless they think they need it. And when I do, I teach them how to look after themselves. We're constantly being told from every avenue, we're victims. Everybody's a victim, you know? Where, and I think for, for the female side of things, that's being bombarded to them by females. And they're being trodden on then for certain females to gain power and stature between in politics. I, I mean... We need resilience. We need men like you who are willing to talk about things and be fair and equitable in those those discussions. You know, people of courage. You know, this uh, tips us nicely into the, my question. Uh, with your movement, what uh, what are you 
what you're doing to encourage men to be more confident, have, have a voice. Okay, so coming to talk to three great guys like you is really cool. <laughs> that was really um, nice. Yeah, like, that's really why we set this up, just to kind of have an open conversation. Yeah, and we'll uh, answer any question as well if you want to ask us. I've got actually loads. <laughs> My turn next. Anyway, yeah, I, there's loads I'm doing. We've got a campaign in Northern Ireland, which will reach across the whole of the UK for a boys and men strategy. We have a violence against women and girls, but we don't have a violence against boys and men. Um, for me, I don't know how you can have one without the other, given the third of the population and the current stats say that you know men experience domestic abuse. We have um, a CMS, Child Maintenance Service. Um, I'm about to take them to court because of the way 90% of paying parents on the CMS, Child Maintenance Service, is men. And the way the CMS is running at the moment is running illegal against their own law. So I'm about to take them to court. The only reason I took that on is because um, we've got somebody who's done a piece of research that show a thousand suicides a year are because of the CMS. And we've got a suicide campaign, a, a prevention campaign that I'm bumbling along in the background. Well, that's the pressure to pay money to. to yeah, wow. yeah. You've heard of all the court cases where, you know, men are asked to, and, and I know a few of the guys who have had this happen, that they... They're, they're worth a certain amount of money in terms of the properties they own and the businesses they own. And then, you know, when something happens, they're forced to sell a lot of the assets that they have uh, to pay wow. um, the other half that's now left. And, you know, some of the stories are unbelievable. I mean, they've part sections of the, the, the law under human rights and the, their own CMS, child maintenance law, is they're breaking. Is they, they've, when they first started calculating pre-2012 men's income, they automatically put 300% on top of the income. And then, and they say that they were doing this to make men phone them. Now, these are paying dads. They're not the deadbeat dads you're hearing over the news. They're paying dads. So they, they cut the paying dads. Um, they dragged them through the door, but they never let go of the 300%. So dads have, have got debts on them that is 12,000, 15,000, and then they're adding costs on top of that. And they, they're not letting it go. They're not taking it through the court process. And also, um, they... When, if, when some dads are earning, say, 25, 30, 40 grand a year, they put additional income on them and then they assess their income by that. So, they, for example, one of our dads who committed suicide, they left him, they said he was earning an extra £25,000 a year and they left him with £200 to live off a month. He committed suicide, you know, because of it. We've got a couple of dads like that. So my work is, because they've broken their own law and they've broken human rights, we're taking them to court. So that's another project. That's that's right. Right. Look at all the things she's involved in. That's amazing. I know, it's a lot. And, and uh, just to sort of underline the other thing you were saying, like I remember hearing a saying like, the masses of men suffer in silence or it's something like that, that the majority of men, obviously you might not put up for it, you might, I might, I don't know, but I, you know, a lot of guys are like sort of suffering in a kind of manipulative relationship. And I think innately, aesthetically, and on the front of everything, you're right, I think women do have power over men if you were to not every woman and not every man and, and obviously it goes the other way for some men have but in in general terms in the same way that uh, the average man's stronger than the average woman the the women hold the power in that as aspect because so many men you know would just message 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 girls whether it's on social media or offline or online and never ever get a response and it's hitting at them all the time it's hitting them all the time and luckily if you're no strong enough as we are and you can you know, meet somebody else or move on, but a lot of guys can't do that, and I think that they build up a resentment. 
They do, yeah. Lately. I think I think there's a lot around. I mean, I say to guys, you're responsible to have a voice. You have a responsibility to say. And I say, I, I tell guys, you've got a drop the mic moment, all right? So you walk in a situation and you're getting bombarded by negative connotations, negative assumptions about who you are or who men are, then you, you're, you're responsible to say in that situation, well, actually, I'm a guy. This is what I think about that. Drop the mic, walk away. Just leave your your a balanced perspective on what you what you believe that this means because men don't talk about who they are, what they drive, what drive. I mean, your silence can be seen as you don't care. So if somebody says, "Oh, they never talk," you know, well, I mean, one of the drop the mics is, "Well, actually, I'm a guy, and one of the reasons I don't talk is because really, when I do talk, nobody really listens." Drop the mic, step away. Step away from it. Don't get into the argument. Well, there's no one to talk to. There's nobody to talk to, you know? So, because that's important. Because unless you talk, which what are you doing? You're doing... You know. Yeah, I would try and talk to my ex, not to bring my ex up, because these guys know her, she's amazing, but... Uh, He's going to get upset now. I, no, oh, not, not. <laughs> I got upset for months, but now I don't. But, you know, um, it, it was impossible to verbally argue with words. It was impossible. And I read a book called The Way of the Superior Man. I don't know if you heard of it. And it basically said, if your girlfriend gets upset or angry... The only thing to do is basically put on favourite music or cuddle her and smile. So that was... Now, I'm not speaking for all women, just this, this ex-girlfriend of three years. And the only way, like, I could try and say the words and be as accurate as possible in the argument that we were having. And the words would have zero effect when she... Because I think, again, maybe I'm wrong here, but I would say women in general are probably more... Their EQ is probably higher than guys they're more emotionally aware than, than, than guys so, so she would get so emotional with the argument that verbally there was never I would never ever come out of that with my point going across yeah, she's got to be able to speak English first so. <laughs> <laughs> she can speak English so I would like cuddle her and everything else but that is unsustainable like in a in a in a, in a, in a, in a long time <laughs> sorry I mean the best form Good. of any relationship the best relationship is ones where you learn how to communicate together yeah. mm-hmm. and men may not want to talk They're, you know learning what each other's boundaries are yeah. I always say in the relationship that's the I key work, the boundaries it is, are the key it's yeah. the boundaries and it's the respect you know and, and when you step away from that and let that calm down I, in the couples work I've ever done I've always said find your way to say no and still respect each other because once you find the way to say no because both a woman and man need to be told no if we don't if we we're not told no we don't feel like we're being respected or held we all need boundaries but you have to find the right way to say no and if you find the right way to say no everything blossoms from there because you can draw it back into that I'm going to say no right now we need to to separate we've agreed this you know there's there's ways of making good relationships you know I, I'm really interested in you three. Can we flip this over? <laughs> you can ask us some questions. Can, ask yeah. you want. Yeah. can we flip this over? Right, so, right. so, so <laughs> one of the questions is... What I'm nervous bring, <laughs> One of the questions is kind of, it's a bit more about this and what you want to achieve in this. You're three independent, very good-looking guys, all got a nice energy and vibrancy around you. So what do you want to achieve? We, I think we all know the same. Sorry, I just feel like, you know, because I didn't hear them say. Did you want to answer? No, go for it, go for it. Yeah, basically what we realised is, Sally, you know, there, there, there's a lot online, right? So my mum would not want me to share anything online, as an example, right? Or, you know, so it's a big question, do you want to share things online? But we all feel like, one, we have a good message, to, 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 and, and, and two, we have very good guests that we know we can bring on from our history of work. But three, we feel like in a male kind of, the way that like men are moving forward isn't 
with the best kind of role models. Now, not that we want to be role models, but they're far and few between. They're either the really kind of like, if they're masculine in this, they're like really tough and like, or they're the opposite. But what we've always found is every time we go away or we're together, we laugh our heads off. We're kind, we're gentle. Like when I'm, that's why Matt is probably my favorite person on the planet because <laughs> it, I, you know, I tell you that because we go away and he's always just joking, laughing, talks to everybody. Um, but physically, we're all also very strong and we can be men. Do you know what I mean? So it's really, in a way, I guess, and we all found out on the first podcast, our dad went to prison when we were um, four or five months. Matt's dad died when he was 11. So we didn't really have that. So it's been a, an interesting way of finding it out. And I actually, things that resonate with me when I'm, on t- when I'm listening to someone like, I don't know if you know, Steve Harvey or Jordan Peterson, they're kind of these pillars of, of masculinity that you can look up to. And there's not many of them. So that's what we wanted to discuss between ourselves. From, from my side, it was like, it was, it was similar to what James said, but it, first of all, it, it was, we were sitting around laughing in the pub down the, down the road and we were just like laughing. And there was a, there was, it was like a, a really short space of time where we laughed, we had an intellectual conversation, we were soft and we were having fun with ourselves. And we just went, we should just talk about stuff like this. Um, and, and then for me, like it's, it's a really nice bit of therapy to get and talk. Cause like, you know, men, don't really do this. And what James is referring to is like, if they do do it, they're online or they're shouting and screaming like Andrew Tate, like, fuck this, fuck that, women this, women that. Or they're a very particular type of men. So we just sat there and we went, okay, wait there, maybe we could be on the sink. If we, if we can come across as ourselves, likable, we have a kind of soft feminine side, but we, like James said, we also go in a boxing ring and we beat each other up and, and have fun. And then we went into, the, okay, well, we know some really interesting guests and we went, we can get, you know, either someone famous that will have a voice or, you know, someone that, you know, is doing unbelievable things like yourself, you know, and just, and you're doing it all on your own. It's crazy. The fact that you've got no funding and no help is just, it's just bonkers. And we, we need to talk about that. But so there was like, okay, if we can come across as the likable part that we are together, um, bring on these interesting guests and talk about all these different topics that we're, that we're at, you know, throw up the purple light to add the, uh, at the feminine side. We just, we just went, okay, well, we've got boxing and film and, James, his history is in tech and he's science. That's why he was, his eyes were lighting up when he was talking about, you know, f- physics. And he'll probably show you all his weird electricity things after the pod. Um, and Jay's like been a real person that's come through, like, you know, he, he stayed with his mum and he had a normal job and now he's been sort of brought into the film industry and he's got, a, he's got a child. So we just thought, okay, we can bring in different topics and kind of discussions. And for me, it's just like, we had the guy, we had um, Tim, Tim on the other day and, you know, He's not famous, but he's the head of this organization about human trafficking. And he told us the UK is the most human trafficked place. And, and just yeah, blew our so, minds. Yeah. So again, it's people like that. To add like, to that, that it's meeting the people yeah. that we're meeting. And so actually doing the process of having these podcasts, you don't expect what you'd be talking about. One minute we're talking about pirate radio stations. Yeah. Then we're talking about child sexual exploitation. And a friend of mine, Tim, well, I've only met him through anti-human trafficking, but he owns the largest, he works at one of the largest human trafficking charities in the world. And, you know, Obviously, I have those conversations with him, and I have been for a long time. But to have it on here, and then for that, for us to push that out, my background's tech, so I know how to push something out. Hopefully, this. <laughs> yeah. But to have those conversations with people, and to push that conversation to other people, the ones that we have, I think would be valuable. Yeah. Just to echo what the lads were saying, you know, very much like collectively, we found that there's a there's a gap in the market for for lads like us. Just to you know talk, be open. Uh, it's very therapeutic, and. Uh, we understand that uh, you know we're, we're great together. We have a you know great banter, great relationship, and we've also had personal experiences that are 
you know, challenging within our within our lives that have changed us, the, the way we, you know, look at life going going forward and and even the relationships that we've had, whether it's uh, mothers or, or girlfriends or, you know, family. And all those all those things have sort of stemmed us into the way we are now. We've got a are strong just, w- sort of women influence as well. Like, I exactly, don't know. And I, yeah. you know, I, I love, I think women are the smartest people in the world. I think they're amazing and lo- love them. And I feel in, sometimes in so we, all, ways, we all get caught up in, in the manipulation by women uh, because we're, we're, we're kind guys, we're, we're caring guys. But at the same time, we know that we can be fierce and, you know, aggressive when we need to be. But we're, um, we, we need to sort of incorporate that balance. And, and uh, I think there's a gap in the market for us because, like, like the lad said, there's, there's this boisterous man that, that needs to be this powerful superhero. Um, but that's n- never the case. And, and I think we're giving, we're hoping that the Boardman podcast gives the platform for, for guys like us to, to have a voice like, like what you're doing. So. And also it allows us to be together because we all work together anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. so t- tell me three things that you think a man should be. Should I go to give you time to think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind, I think grounded, kind, mass, strong-minded. Think... Sorry, go on. Just because I've got it on my mind, I don't want to say the same yeah, thing. Go, 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 kind, go. strong-minded. Mm. I want to say responsible, but that kind of opens up into lots of different oh, areas. Uh, I'd say um, strong, respectful, and, uh, and to give back. I was going to say provider, but I'm going to say courageous. Uh, I'm going to say um, strong. I do think strength is important. Uh, And I think um, grounded in their own masculinity. Because I think when you're grounded as like, obviously you can be grounded feminine, grounded masculine, uh, it brings sort of like peace, quiet, and you can make good decisions. So I would say those three. So you both said strong. Definition of strong is yeah. That's what I was going to say. Not, like not this, this, yeah. It's not necessarily physically, physically strong, strength, but, but strong, strong. I think strong-minded to because I, I actually think physically strong. I don't know why. Like uh, listening to Julius, I, it resonates. It's, it's a hard one to explain. But listening to Julius, we had a guy that fought Mike Tyson in 1999, and he got really badly abused when he was a kid, and he said he just wanted to be strong. So whether it's right or wrong, well, I, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with strength. But I think physically, I just think it's good to be strong. My what I knew of my dad, he was very strong. Um, when there is a problem, it's good to be very strong. Uh, but I think being strong physically also allows you to be strong mentally. Uh, yeah. So they, they go hand in hand, I, I feel. I think for me, it's, for me it's more strong-minded because I think if, if, you're, if you're a man and you're not strong-minded and you don't have control over your, your brain or whatever, it's, it can, I think it's probably more destructive. That's why you mentioned about you know, male suicide is higher than female. It's, it's, we have a there's something wired in us where we have that, you know, there's something aggressive or something in us that's wired. You know, there's a, there's a famous thing that no, there's, you know, in the history of all the gun shooting in America, not one of them have been a female. You know, they've all been male. Um, you know, you don't really know any females that have, you know, been head of the government and gone to war. So it's like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's smart in a weird way. I think men, if, if they're not strong-minded, they just react it's like, okay, aggressively, you know, there, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to go to war. Or I'm going to do this. Whereas I think females are more, more reserved and they, they kind of, you know, walk away or take a moment or think about it. I don't know. Maybe that's my opinion, but. A little bit of illusion now. Yeah. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. you watch a video. What do you they think? don't do that anymore. What do you think men should, three things? I men. think men should have strength of character and I think they should be physically strong because, uh, because I mean, women, 
whatever the slant is at the moment, if a woman wants protecting, she will look towards a man, whether it's a fireman or a policeman. And, and I know there are police women, and, and I'm not denying, I'm not taking anything away from that. But I mean, 87% of actually has gone up now. I think it's don't don't I don't want to completely quote this, but I think it was nine, the last time I looked at the figures. I think it was 93%, but I will have to double check, of the community is kept working by men. So if, if, so they make the roads, they make cars, they make planes, they build houses, they build schools, they build hospitals. They Jordan keep, Peterson said that. They, they keep, bricklayers. They, yeah. they keep the world going. If men went on strike today, nothing would work. So they keep, and they're the largest deaths in, in workplace are men. So, and boys in some cases, 16. So society looks at men for that strength. And, and they're the ones that can go to, to work at 5 a.m. in the morning and come home at 9 p.m. at night and do physical work. And they will maintain that all day and to me that's commendable so so when you look at a man and also i'm a fe- i'm feminine i i like my femininity i enjoy it and i celebrate that so you would for a woman you look for the opposite of what you are so you look at strength of characters decision makers you know pe- men that are strong so i think men should celebrate their attributes the same way women should be allowed to celebrate their attributes so and i think most women they're looking for the hero, whether they want to say that or not. That's what they're looking for. These girls on Instagram, they're looking for love. Yeah, what's, I agree. What's, what's the illusion is there's money and wealth, and they're hoping that one of them is going to rescue them and keep hold of them and never let them go. They're, they're an illusion, you know? Um, so, so for me, masculinity means the opposite of femininity, which is your strength, your power, and being able to say no in the right way. Most women, when men become too soft, they lose interest. Did you know that? There's been studies done when when men become too soft, too um, enabled to say no, they lose interest. It's funny, we said that on the last podcast with Ricky, didn't we? We said, it's great, you've got to be soft and we are soft and kind, but there's there's a caveat to that. There's a limit, right? Everybody's got a limit. So that's interesting. So... And how would you define soft? Would that be by giving in in arguments, that sort of thing? No, that would be around taking the, the, your partner's perspective, understanding what oh. your needs are. And then if you can, because some needs are unreasonable. So if you know I'm, I'm feeling insecure and I'm feeling, you know, a bit lost and a bit like freaking out because you've been out for three days working and I haven't seen you. And whatever, what I, all I need is you to say to me, my heart, my mind, my body is here. I might be working, I might be doing whatever, but this is where I am. And show me that. That's reassurance. That's reassurance in your relationship. But if you let me get away with abusing you, I'm not going to like that. You need to say to me, look, you, I mean, I've had a recent conversation with somebody and I said to them, what you need to do is you need to say no to that, that lady. You can say to her, this is who I am to you. This is who I'm always going to be to you. This is what your insecurities, and, and we need to work on those because that, it's her responsibility, you know? If she doesn't trust you, there's something within her. If you behave badly, then, well, if, for me, it's three counts and you're, well, it's not actually three counts, one count and you're out now. I've windled it down. I haven't got the tolerance anymore. But mm-hmm. you, women, you need to say, you need to hold your partner to account because otherwise you're feeding her insecurities. If you're constantly weaving all of, and feeding, feeding, feeding more, you're justifying her behavior. If you've not done anything wrong and she's holding those insecurities, you hug her. This is a good thing. You know, you hug her and you reassure her. But there's got to be a point where you say, I'm being real honest with you. That's all I can say to you about that. There's a line, isn't there? Otherwise, 
Trust destroys you. Lack of trust will destroy you. It destroys your relationship. This is brilliant, Sally. And um, do you have any more questions for us? I've got loads. <laughs> guys, you're interesting. You know, you have the interesting factor. And if you have courage to go along with that, I mean, I, I'm really, really excited about what you're doing. Because for me, you're like the cream. I want to watch every single show, want to listen to you. I want you to be courageous. I want you to be fair, but not be afraid of saying what is on the table to be saying. Because the world needs that. I, I honestly believe now with COVID and lots of the stuff that went on with that, lots of lies, political lies, lots of other stuff that gone on with that. And with the society, there's, they, they talk about, I think it was a 75-year reboot, isn't there? There's a thing about societies rebooting every 75 or 85 years. I think now is the time for truth. We've had a lot of yeah. illusions. People have been given rope enough to hang themselves. I mean, yeah. as a therapist, this thing around, this thing around um, you know, transgender and all of that. Now, I've worked with people that have been going through that process, but this thing that's opened it up where you're, you're telling children at the age of seven that they can be who they want to be, as a therapist and all the other therapists I, I work with are saying we're looking for the 15-year slot where everybody in this zone becomes broken because the journey between... Your brain, the brain does not become an adult until you're 25, okay? And, and emotionally, mentally, adult, adulthood happens between the ages of 30 and 40. A lot of religions will tell you you don't become an adult until the ages of 30 and 40. And for me, the definition... I believe that. Definitely. Yeah, I think the definition for me is when you're willing to stand on your own two feet, you've had enough life experience behind you, and you say to yourself... My mother told me when I was 28, I had my nose pierced. She said to me, I'm not going shopping with you. I'm not going out the door, take it out. Right, this is my mum. I'm like, okay, mum, but that's not going to happen. And I remember she said it so much to me. She refused to go out. And I said, God, I don't have to go shopping anymore. I'm celebrating. When you're willing to tell your mum, I'm really sorry, mum. I understand what you're doing, but this is my decision, my choice, and I'll take up the consequences for that. That's adulthood, right? Because you're willing to stand on your own two feet. So when you take children at seven or eight years old and you're, tell you're making them responsible for things they shouldn't be responsible for, they don't even know what, what, whether I, what a girl or a boy means at that age. They're just getting into that gender zone where the differences are. And you're telling them they can be anything they want to be. And then you're taking them into 10 and 12 and 15 and 18. We all, once you get into 30, you all know that that's the age of experimental. You know, that's when you, you try on all of the shoes, you wear trousers you've never worn before, you wear a hat, you cut your hair really short, you get tattoos you regret for the rest of your life, you know. It's your experimental stage. So you, this is a society that you've allowed people to build illusions around who they are. That's so true. Because yeah. like even, even when you think about now, and I have Richard stepdad telling me this all the time, oh, you know, my grandfather did this, he went to war when he was 18. And, and now like hearing, you know, someone going to war at 18 like you're a kid you shouldn't be going to war to fight that you, you don't even know what you're fighting for and you you're not you know you're not brain process it doesn't matter how well you trained are and the same when people say you know had a child at 21 or 22 yes it can happen but it's like you know if you haven't found yourself and you haven't found what you want what you like what you don't like and you've made your own mistakes how can you go to war? How can you but also as raise well, a child? What you were saying about this gender reassignment, I think some kid had a gender reassignment at six. Obviously, no, yeah, nothing... I, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah, obviously, with us being comfortable in our sort of, our bodies-ish, 
for, you know, on and off. I mean, it's very hard to understand the mentality of that person. But to me, I didn't even want to put any time into it, Sally, because I know they say, you know, what is it when America uh, gets the flu, England catches a cold? So I knew it was coming this way. But we didn't hear all this, the, the, the gender politics here. It was only in America. You'd only hear it when you put on a podcast or you know, something else. And slowly, slowly, it's making its way over here. And it's, it, it is hard to hear. And as much as, you know, it's, it's like uh, I saw on the NHS website, they changed it about three weeks ago to say that um, from six and up now, uh, six years old and up, you can have the, can I say, can I say the vaccine? We'll have to say because yeah, if you right. get kicked on YouTube now. Six years old, when no six-year-old children, have, not a single six-year-old child has died. So it's obviously not that kid's choice. But what's happening is... Why are you so scared to say anything about COVID? I got my last video taken down because of COVID. Really? Yeah. They, anything with coronavirus, anything with uh, any of the drugs... Is related- it because you said COVID, not COVID? <laughs> 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 and they thought like, okay, he's making a bomb or something. What's, what's interesting is like, any of the creating his own disease. I know. <laughs> any of the... Any of the um, because the way that the narrative's being pushed, it's opening those kids' minds, their susceptible minds to... Actually, I don't feel like a boy or, like, or, whatever, or, or, or the, the other way around. Or actually, no, this is the most dangerous virus in the world. It's going you know, to kill everybody. So the, the, the narrative that's being pushed and controlled, which seems obvious to us, right, is going to give them a much higher propensity to say, OK, I want to change this. Because I tell you what, when I was like, honestly, 13, 14, 15, my mind, you know, you think you're the smartest kid in the world in, in your brain, but you know nothing you know, it's like the more you know, the less you know. The older you get, the more you realise you know, the more you actually don't know. So at those ages, to make a decision like that, you know, is um, it, it's wild. And I didn't think that it would come here and being sort of selfish in my brain, I thought, oh, this is just this crazy thing in America. But now it's spreading everywhere to the fact where actually you've got to say something about it and you've got to say, I completely disagree that the fact that uh, a kid that's six can reassign their you know, their, their whole sex. I think it's awful. I mean, I've done the journey with people who have been in that situation where they feel locked in and feel suicidal because they don't know who they are and they know there's something very different about them to everybody else. But but you, I think that's where you have to make it okay to discover yourself. You discover, make it okay to have those conversations. But to, to make it okay to change your gender before, particularly before the age of 25, because I've known people that have done that and then they look into reverse it because they've gone through a point where they really don't know who they are we all go through it I, I think that there's a time when we need honest voices because anybody that knows anything about this will tell you this is very wrong psychologists psychotherapists trauma therapists all of the people that are educated will tell you what we're doing right now and allowing to go on in society is wrong I mean a large proportion of this I believe comes from the Istanbul Convention because I've researched it in the Istanbul Convention it states there's a few things in there but one of the things it states is that we need to promote the minority and and, and we need to do that through education and unfortunately a large driving force for that particular convention are are a particular sexual orientation so it it's a open opening up the doors yes i agree open up the doors to make the child who's considering suicide because they really don't feel they fit anywhere having a deeper understanding you know making you know it's okay to be gay or lesbian because that's the way you are that's great but taking society where you're allowing a, a, a six-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 16-year-old to make major decisions when they're already in that... Po- part of being that age is pushing the boundaries. And you'll do anything to do it. You'll, 
me was a bit late, 28, put my nose, pierced my nose. Having tattoos done, going out and trying something or, put, you know, sneaking into a club at 15 or whatever, that's the age for doing that. But now we've got ta- tattoos is, is a work of art. Our bodies have turned into a work of art. It, it defines, that's how we, we describe who we are to the world. Yeah. And one of those things is our gender. Somebody has made that now. It's okay to look at our gender and yeah. we can make those changes. It's not healthy. So, so saying... You know, it, telling parents, for example, it's okay to say no to your children having certain education. But surely the parent, like, thing my mum would say, but surely the parents are to blame, right, for a lot of this. Because, like, you wouldn't, like, any parent I know wouldn't, you know, th- you know, there's, there's people this, are there's reading this, and seeing online and the access to yeah, information. There's this 0.001% of an exception for everything. And my friend, this is a really depressing story, actually. My friend, I won't mention her name, but she's got a daughter, she's nine. And, you know, the, the, she, the school phoned her mum and said, look, she's drawing all these pictures of her, of her funeral. And all she talks to her mum about is like, I want to have my funeral. I want to die. I want to die at nine. That's all she says, this young nine-year-old. Yeah. So obviously there's this 0.001% that you, it's like, wow. Imagine if she's saying like, I need gender something and I'm going to kill myself, mum, or something that we can't understand. But the, for the majority, it's like, hold on. The, and, and she's an incredible mother. But for the majority, it's like, hold on. How can the parents sort of, let this happen. And I think they're being siphoned into this narrative of everything that they're hearing as well. And I think that's part of the problem. Media grooms us. That's what it does. Yeah. By its very nature, it's marketed in a certain way and it grooms us. You'll know this as somebody that manages IT. There's certain ways to do things and we can change the narrative of society. That's yeah. why I did my journalist degree, yeah. because I wanted to get the voice of men and boys out there somehow. And the craziness you hear about the, the, the COVID has opened everybody's eyes. You just, you can read, I'd read like scientific papers and I was reading all this stuff on on COVID in the early stages because it was scary, everything you heard in the news and you read it and you're like, hold on, we're being told a completely different narrative than what's true. And then yeah, you hear all of the science and then you've got this guy, Fauci, who said, I mean, you're going, that's another podcast, but he said, we will never shake hands again. I mean, what sort of a horrible person have you got to be to tell humanity as the, the leader of, you know, science or whatever, we will never shake hands again. I mean, everybody saw it, people wrote books on it, but a huge number of people still followed that narrative because... Maybe they're just really nice people and they just want to believe everybody's good, there's no danger in the world, there's no evil, and everyone just, they're in power because they're doing what's best. But when you actually really look into the science and really read the papers and, and, and really investigate, you realise that it's worrying because I was never worried before COVID. My mum actually said, James, you've been politicised ever since COVID because you started looking into why, you know, certain so politicians things happen, are the yeah. way they are how Boris got away with everything he gets away with, how you've got a guy in America who, you know, literally can't string sentences together and you start looking into it, you're like, wow, this is, the world's running a really well, it's crazy all, it's way. All, it's all media run, you know, it's all media driven, everything is media driven. And, you know, even going back to when you were saying about children doing things at 16 and 18, like experimenting, you know, we, we have a, a mutual, you know, story in, in a weird way where, you know, we know a, a young boy that, that committed suicide off the back of his dad committing suicide and it like, you know, from my point of view, it was like such a cry for help and there was no one there to help him, even though his mother was still alive. Like, so there's all these things at that age, you've got to be so protective of what, you know, what people are capable of and what they want to do. And it's like, it's such a, it's such a tender age. You can't be like making hard decisions on your life then. 
you know, that stage. And, and that's where I think society needs, to, that's where truth comes in. I believe the pendulum we talked about earlier, I think swinging that pendulum towards fact, evidence-based truth is the only way that society can go now. Yeah. And I think for people like you, for example, who are willing to hold that truth and courageously enough to keep it in a frame and open the conversations up, I think that is so important. You're right, yeah. yeah and that's, that's important for us as humans. And that's, as I've got older, the thing I've learned is to be authentic with other people and with myself. And I think the reason why the big podcasts, like Joe Rogan, you know, I've always listened to him. I think you can just listen to him and think the guy's telling the truth and he's saying what he thinks. And it's like, you know, talking about in your journalism, I remember reading that the BBC was the 21st biggest advertiser on media spend. When COVID hit, they became number one. That just, just things like that, if you just do the research, it tells you enough that you need to know. And I think I, I completely agree. What's coming through now, if there is any form of, um, what would you call it, like an uprising, it's an uprising of truth. That's what it is. I agree with you, 100%. And I think we need to push that forward. You, you take your truth, you, you take your, your evidence, and you show it, and you stand by it. I mean, nothing that comes out of my mouth isn't truth, and, and everything I can evidence. And I won't say anything. I, on the podcast now, I'm saying, I think it's 97, but I'd have to check, because it could be 93. I can't quite remember. So even if I'm not sure, I will say I'm not yeah, sure. It's yeah. either 93, 97, you know, because I think it needs people like that. Jordan Peterson is one of those people. He, he will sit and he will hold his frame. He holds his state. He doesn't care whether you believe him or not. He's saying, this is what it is. I can evidence what I'm saying, whatever. And you know, he even says sometimes, he says, like, I don't, I don't know your, the answer to what you're saying, but what I do know is that, you know, that's a truthful yeah, voice. It's a, it? it's a truthful voice. It's yeah. um, it, it's just a kind of almost end on a light note. It's quite funny because I remember watching uh, Carl Pilkington, if you've ever seen Idiot Abroad, <laughs> and they ask him what, you know, if you had one superpower, what would it be? And he's, he's on this plane. He goes, I'd be, uh, I'd be the, the Mr. Bullshit man. And they were like, what do you mean, Carl? What, what do you mean? He said, yeah, he said, there's so much bullshit in the world. No one tells the truth about anything. And I'd love to be this guy where I could just fly everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and if someone said bullshit, I just appear in the room and go bullshit. And he's saying this to camera. And it, in a way, it's so stupid and backwards in a way that he's saying it. But in a way, it's like, imagine if you could go to every scenario where someone was telling bullshit or not the truth and just go, no, that's a lie. And everyone, everyone can see it. Like that would just change the world immediately. And it's like, it, it's so interesting to, to have him say that. But it, yeah, I agree. There's a that, that's a really nice Maybe note. That that uprising uprising of truth. <laughs> With the three bullshit guys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so uprising just, of truth. <laughs> I'm just conscious of, uh, of time. I just want to ask you, Sally, um, what's, what's next for you? And, uh, uh, okay, so I am trying to raise funds. I have created a, a suicide prevention app. Um, I worked on it for a year. I did it because... My money ran out. I, I won't tell you how much money I spent on my own money because people would think I'm absolutely crazy. But um, it has run out. When you feel like I feel about what's going on, you just do what you do. And I know it's crazy. If somebody came to me and said, I've got this amount of savings in my account and I'm going to spend it on what you're doing, I would say, no, you can't do that, you know. But I have. And when it came to the end of the funding that I knew was coming, I said, I need, what, what can I leave this path with? Because I can't carry on the way I'm carrying on. I'm going to have to get a paid job. And the one thing was I need to try and prevent suicide because 
I'm, I'm quite emotionally balanced. I'm not, um, I'm a psychotherapist, I'm a life coach. So when somebody brings what they bring to me, some of the stuff, the stories are horrendous. I could tell you stories from people's lives and men's lives that they would put you on the floor. But you learn that it's not your story, it's somebody else's story, and you're disrespecting them by taking their emotions from it. So I've learned to be, this your, it's your story, I'm here to listen, but I'm not going to fall apart. But the one thing that has created it for me is that every time I hear of a man or a boy committing suicide, it feels like a punch in the solar plexus. And it literally, yeah, I, I, even talking about it makes me want to, like... So when I thought I had... Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, so when I, when, okay. I, when I thought my funding was gone, I thought, OK, I've got to leave. I can't give full time to this now. There's going to be a step out for me. And I'm going to try and finish what I've got, projects I've got running. But at some point, I'm going to have to leave. So I thought, what was the worst thing? What's the worst thing that's impacted on me? And it was a suicide. So I figured, all my, what's my skill set? My skill set is psychotherapy, people management, you know, what attracts people, what does... So I thought, right, let's look at an app. So I created an app, um, which I put in front of three app developers. Um, the middle app developer was uh, somebody who'd uh, created apps for international platforms, multi-million pound projects and stuff like that. And he sat back in the chair, like you said about one woman and all that. He sat back in the chair halfway through a meeting and he said to me, he literally went like that and went like that. He said, Sally, I've just got to stop you a minute. He said, I cannot believe that you have managed to create what actually is a billion dollar app. And, and until then, I was just praying it would pay for itself. So I, I was thinking to myself, oh, I hope this just pays for itself so it can run and look after itself and update itself and, and then people can use it and actually make it productive. And when he said that to me, there was kind of a bit of hope there. So um, well, That's crazy because there's all these apps for like calming and going to sleep, but then I, it's, you're just talking about an app that could save someone's life. Yeah, that can save somebody's life. And so it's... I've used and it doesn't for, exist. No, it doesn't exist. So I've looked at all the apps. So lots of people have tried to create an app and they've worked really hard to do that. But they've used coaching models, and I guess why they've done that, because it's hard to stop somebody committing suicide where you're not giving them face-to-face -face, um, therapy. But there's a way to educate, because a lot of people don't. One of the things a psychotherapist will tell you, or a trauma therapist, if you educate somebody about what's going on inside them, they can work on themselves, so the education makes a difference. So I've incorporated a trauma education in there, which will it'll teach them certain basic things about their brain and how it works. Um, and I've incorporated that into the app and there's other thick parts in the app. So I've taken things like yoga, Tai Chi, which is known to have certain effects, wow. life coaching itself. Um, so it's a stepping stone. You go in there with the, with the ideology of suicide and then you step out of that through utilising the app. So I'm working on that um, and I'm trying to look at how we can raise money. It's almost like Duolingo for language. Just like there's got so many steps that, that yeah, like in a, in a fun way, but obviously yeah, not. It it's, is, yeah, it's, it's very, very good. It's amazing yeah. to see how much it touches you as well. And where, oh, I know. Where, where would people find you? Like uh, on which channels? And what could they search for the app? If they yeah, so the app um, I'm told will take three to six months. It's currently in a proposal form. It's with the developer. Okay, so don't say the name of it then, because no, 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 yeah, we so it's with the developer at the moment, and you told me it'll take three to six months to create it, and I've got this really cool guy called Bill Morris who is from the Angel's Den. He created the Angel's Den, which they then took the Dragon's Den from. And Bill's a really cool guy. So I put a proposal together. He's going to put it in front of private investors because that is probably the quickest way I can develop it. But what we'll do, if it's okay with you, is 
when it's near launch, if you've got the time, Sally, we'd love to have you back on. Oh, I'd love to. And to actually discuss the launch and yeah, then help push it in any yeah. way. And what we'll do is, you know, anything that, if it's for, to prevent suicide, any money that this podcast makes, obviously, for this episode, we'll give towards Sally's yeah. app. Um, and then anything we can do to help, please let us know. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you, my heroes. Uh, thank you very much <laughs> for your time, Sally. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Great to have you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you.